This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. The U.S. military has been using unmanned vehicles for kinetic strikes for well over a decade. And recently, we've seen the devastating effect of those so-called drones in the news from places like the Ukraine. In his new book, Professor Mitt Regan offers an assessment of one of the most important instruments in the war on terror, the use of armed drones to kill terrorist leaders. Today, we'll be talking about that book and the lessons learned, and some not learned so far. We've had Mitt on the channel before. He is the McDivitt Professor of Jurisprudence, Director of the Center for Ethics and the Legal Profession, and Co-Director of the Center on National Security at Georgetown University Law Center. He is also Senior Fellow at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership here at the Naval Academy. Mitt, welcome back to Radio Stockdale. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you. We're going to talk about something that might be a little bit edgy here, targeted killings. What is a targeted killing? Well, as I describe it in the book, a targeted killing is a lethal strike against uh, someone who has been designated as posing a threat uh, in an area outside of active combat. So, for instance, with the U.S. campaign over the past 20 years, my book doesn't focus on strikes in Afghanistan and Iraq or Syria, where there have been theaters of uh, active conflict. Uh, but primarily, these strikes that I'm discussing have occurred in Pakistan, in the tribal areas, in Yemen, and in Somalia. The issue, though, the reason I'm asking about this targeted killing is because you're saying they're in areas that don't have either active conflict or a declared war. But the, the key thing here is the U.S. hasn't declared war on anyone since the 1940s, right? That's right. Uh, but at the same time, Congress uh, has provided uh, authorization for the use of military force, which then enables the U.S., to use military force under the laws of war. Um, and so it's not necessary actually for Congress to formally declare war in order for the president to have authority to wage war. Got it. Another important thing here is we're not necessarily talking about troops in contact. We're talking about when you're out of area, this is not close air support. This is not close air support. That's right. These are people in remote areas in which access is either denied or severely limited, who have been determined to be planning, coordinating uh, attacks against the U.S. Now, the U.S. has consistently taken the position that in an armed conflict, members of Al-Qaeda and associated forces are enemy combatants. And that means that they can be uh, killed without first attempting to capture them. What's been somewhat controversial is that some claim that authority to do that applies in areas of active conflict, but outside that, in areas where there isn't ongoing intense hostilities, your use of force should not be governed by the laws of war, but by law enforcement operations. 
which do require uh, an attempt first to capture rather than uh, killing uh, immediately. The U.S., however, says basically if someone's an enemy combatant, doesn't matter where they are, we can use lethal force against them as a first resort. As I'll describe in a little bit, the Obama administration curtailed that approach somewhat in the areas outside of armed conflict, however, basically to track what essentially are law enforcement standards. You know, you've got a very diverse background that clearly covers all of this stuff. Why did you focus on these kind of strikes? Well, these strikes, first of all, have been really a crucial instrument in U.S. counterterrorism policy for 20 years. They represent a radically new military asset. Now, we've always had, you know, what are called standoff weapons, right? Weapons that can be used uh, from a distance. Uh, But these provide full motion video surveillance of an area for hours and hours at a time. They're operated by people who may be, let's say, at Creech Air Force Base in Nevada, several thousand miles away from the, uh, the, uh, the platform itself. And They've been controversial, as I say, because uh, some argue that these are what are called extrajudicial killings. That is, that you've determined that someone is essentially guilty and that you're executing him without any kind of due process. And so the debate has been marked by strong claims on both sides, by both supporters and critics of these types of platforms. These claims often are factual in nature, you know, one being that for every terrorist you may kill, you know, three more are created. Uh, On the other side, you know, if you eliminate leaders, then the rest of the organization will wither. And so what I wanted to do was was to examine what, what do we actually know? What does the evidence tell us about the impacts of these strikes on terrorist groups, principally Al Qaeda? and associated forces, uh, on civilian casualties, and on the local populations. And I really felt like the time was right, given the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, the sense that the U.S. is going to rely even more, perhaps, on these strikes in what's called an over-the-horizon approach to counterterrorism. I thought, all right, let's take stock and let's assess as best we can how effective these have been, and what have been the costs. So just to be clear here, Mitt, this is not about artificial intelligence. There is someone at this control when they're doing this target killing, right? Absolutely. In fact, every mission uh, involves, you know, upwards of 150 or so people. You know, we're talking about uh, people who are interpreting the the video feed uh, coming from the asset. We're talking about Uh, people who are in the ground control station. Uh, It's a highly distributed operation. You have people at the command air operations center. Um, So it's a very, in fact, human intensive um, process. And ultimately, it's a human being, you know, at the end that is, you know, pressing the button or choosing not to press the button. So how did you go about working out this research? Well, I knew that there had been uh, many studies uh, 
of that attempted to look at the impact in particular on terrorist groups close to you know 50 to 60 studies that look at the impacts overall what i did first was was look at those and many of those are quantitative in nature they use statistical techniques and i did that first to try to get a sense of well what do these studies tell us what are their findings right what's the basis for those findings, how rigorous is the methodology? Um, and I then supplemented that with qualitative evidence. Uh, one important source of that kind of evidence is the correspondence of Al-Qaeda top leadership, particularly during the period in, from 2008 to 2012 when the strikes in the tribal areas in Pakistan were, were most intensive. And those document pretty clearly that al-Qaeda core leadership suffered significantly from the strikes. Um, they lost several key people, particularly those who were coordinating operations outside the Afghan-Pakistan area. They also resulted in disruption of operations, uh, limitations on communication with the rest of the network, limitations on mobility, uh, on movement, right? Um, there also um, were some interview research studies that asked terrorist members, uh, government officials, uh, and others what the impact of the strikes were. And there were contemporaneous journalistic uh, reports uh, about the responses of, of terrorist groups to these. So what I tried to do then was uh, provide as well-rounded an understanding as possible. You know, the qualitative evidence can maybe help provide sort of a, a human explanation for those statistical findings. You know, a statistical finding may conclude that strikes did reduce the number of attacks, but you want to know well, exactly why, how did that happen? And um, so they were invaluable in kind of rounding out the, the picture. And, you know, I have to say, there are not absolutely clear-cut, indisputable, definitive findings on every issue. Uh, but certainly evidence is uh, stronger uh, for some claims uh, than others. And so I think, you know, this is an effort to gain our best understanding of these impacts. And in the book, I lay out uh, my methods and I lay out all the studies. So uh, I welcome people reviewing those, coming to their own conclusions. But the important thing is that we have a discussion that grapples with the evidence. To me, that's going to be crucial in making uh, policy decisions. Okay, so I want to talk about your book for a second, Drone Strikes, Analyzing the Impacts of Targeted Killing. So I don't want to give away anything necessarily, but I, I do want you to jump to some conclusory right. statements here. And let me just ask, so, you know, has the sustained application of these campaigns been success? First question, success in protecting the U.S.? Um, yes, uh, with a qualification, right? Um, I would say the key findings are, first of all, that the strikes have not uh, either diminished the capability of al-Qaeda or reduced the number of, effect, of attacks that it conducts worldwide. In that sense, strikes have not served to degrade al-Qaeda, much less defeat it. Right? Um, at the same time, I think it's fair to 
assume that the main U.S. goal has been to reduce the risk of attacks to the U.S. Uh, and the evidence suggests that the strikes in the tribal areas against top leadership, what are called Al-Qaeda core, did have that effect. They had the disruptive effects that I described earlier. And that disruption uh, is significant with respect to the threat to the U.S. because Al-Qaeda core has always been and continues to be the element of Al-Qaeda that has insisted on the priority of attacking the U.S. and to some extent the West. Their view is that this is necessary to induce the U.S. to withdraw completely any kind of influence in the Middle East because their view is that the U.S. is propping up heretical uh, regimes in the Islamic world that will collapse if the U.S. withdraws, and that paves the way for al-Qaeda then to establish Sharia law in that area. So the correspondence uh, you know, between bin Laden and lieutenants and among others is replete with references to the importance of attacking the U.S. So what we have in the tribal areas after 9-11 is al-Qaeda core, this element focused on attack in the U.S., having a safe haven where it's able to plan and coordinate attacks against what it calls the far enemy, and it's able to run training camps, right, to prepare people to conduct those attacks. And a large portion of the attacks in the West uh, after 9-11 were coordinated by Al-Qaeda Corps. Um, since 2013, however, there has not even been a plot, an attempted attack in which Al-Qaeda Corps uh, has been involved. Right? So I'm not saying that the strikes against Al-Qaeda Corps um, is the only or even the main reason there haven't been a, a attacks in the US by Al-Qaeda uh, after 9-11. I think strengthening our counterterrorism defenses, intelligence sharing, uh, intercepting terrorist financing, those likely have been the most significant measures. But I think it is fair to say that strikes against uh, Al-Qaeda core that deprive them of a safe haven in the tribal areas did contribute to reducing the threat. And then the final point I would say is that strikes do tend to reduce attacks in locations in which strikes occur uh, for a period of time, up to perhaps as long as five weeks, right? But unless you persist with ongoing campaign of strikes, the enemy is likely to be able to resume uh, activities. So in other words, strikes can buy you time, um, to maybe undertake other kinds of, of, of measures. Uh, you know, the most ambitious would be to try to address the sources of grievances, you know, uh, in a particular area that makes extremism uh, attractive, right? Uh, otherwise, you're gonna just have to be, you're gonna have to have an intensive ongoing campaign. So what this suggests is that just sort of periodically picking off people right, is not going to have much effect. This needs to be a, a pretty intensive campaign with vigorous surveillance, with intelligence sharing, cooperation with local partners, 
then it can have some effect. So we're not talking about a bomb exploding in hometown USA, but we do have impacts or at least results that may not be positive for the U.S. gas prices, support of Israel, democratic principles throughout the world, and in the peripheral, not just Western Europe, but around the rest of the world, these organizations aren't going away. And in fact, the organizations actually might get a little bit larger. And in their zones of influence, it might be more difficult for those governments, those people, to manage and go forward. So while there's not a direct impact in the U.S., there are still things we've got to deal with based on these strikes, right? Yes, uh, that's exactly right. Um, in a sense, one way to think about it is that the strikes, particularly against Al-Qaeda core, have redirected Al-Qaeda activity away from the U.S. to other parts of the world. If you think about it, you know, if the net, roughly the net number of Al-Qaeda attacks has not significantly diminished overall, the fact that they've declined, uh, the threat has declined in the U.S. means that that uh, local governments in other areas are contending with them. So one thing the U.S. has to think about also is that it may be that addressing those threats requires, you know, support for local government reforms. Um, that might address grievances that make extremism <clears throat> attractive. But one of the findings of the, of the research is that strikes uh, are unpopular in the locations where they occur. They do create resentment against the U.S. Uh, the research indicates that they don't result in uh, increases in terrorist recruitment. Right. So the notion that if you kill one terrorist, they're going to be able to, you know, to, to gain two more doesn't seem to be well founded. But the resentment against the U.S., the unpopularity could could make it more difficult for the U.S. to support regimes. Right. That might be able to undertake reforms that could get at the root causes of, uh, of this violence. And so it's a very it's a very tricky proposition. It, it is tricky because, frankly, you're talking about support, local support and intelligence or what have you from those governments or regimes in order to make these strikes successful, right? That's right. That's right. And, and again, um, the local strikes can be successful in the sense that they can reduce the number of attacks for some period of time uh, after an attack. But unless you want an ongoing intensive campaign in the area, um, which would generate considerable unpopularity, right? Then what you need to do is use that reduction in attacks to take advantage of other kinds of measures that might, as I say, get more at the root causes. Now, frankly, there's not a lot of good rigorous research on how to get at the root causes of terrorism. We frankly don't know as much as we would like, right? But it does, you know. But many people have suggested that you have areas in which maybe there are people who feel like they've been excluded. Maybe their ethnic or tribal group has been excluded from uh, from governance. You have uh, a large number of young men who are unemployed. The average age in the uh, in the Islamic world is is quite young, um, and so. 
if you have an authoritarian regime that reaps most of the economic benefits for, for themselves, then that's going to create resentment. That's a tall order. And frankly, it's not something where the U.S. can be front and center in trying to address it, because then it's going to be seen as, oh, the local government's just a puppet of the West. So anything that potentially could undermine local governments that we try to support could only uh, result in a continuation of this kind of activity. So we've clearly seen this movie before, that the only new actor, so to speak, is that unmanned system that drops down and and, and blows something else. Professor Matt Regan, Joan Strikes Analyzing the Impacts of Targeted Killing and a Senior Fellow at the Stockdale Center. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts. 